0: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts.
1: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, Spurs startle the league leaders with an early goal but fail to make it count as Liverpool extend their unbeaten run to 407 Premier League games. It's a nightmare for viddy printer operators everywhere as Leicester score nine past Southampton. We ask whether a result like that deserves an immediate sacking. And elsewhere, both sides in Manchester get decent wins and a look at how the London clubs have fared so far in the Premier League. Plus, ITV region Granada reigns supreme in La Liga, Atalanta score sette in Italia, and sad tales of missed matches. Let's take you now to the audio recording facility where I'm joined again by Mina Rizuki. She objected to me using the phrase as ever last week, so we'll go for again. How are you, Mina?
2: Oh, only because I use that, as ever when I introduce people too. So I was trying to figure out where I got that from. Maybe it's you. Maybe yeah. you're my inspiration. Yeah,
1: you're magpieing with your podcast work alongside her.
3: It's Alistair Tweedale. What's going on, Ali? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, what a weekend of football!
1: Yeah, what a weekend it's been. Lots to get into, which we will get into, but not before introducing your friend and mine. It's JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? Hello. Wiping your eyes as if exhausted already. What's no, wrong? I've been, here, wake
4: s- I've been here since 6.30. My tax driver didn't um, know how to uh, use the maps thing on his phone and drove... Several times across a bridge, you did not need to.
1: All of our uh, <laughs> all of our listeners who also had to get to work early, who didn't have a taxi to take them there, playing the world's smallest violin here. Uh, let's begin our analysis of the footballing weekend with Liverpool versus Spurs. Liverpool went behind, Spurs on top for much of the game, but uh, Klopp's Gagan pressing, Supermen rallied and won 2 1. How did they do it, JJ?
4: Uh, they did it by I think it's just Anfield's weird thing where I think it was a lot of um, how do you describe it it's just that mentality of Anfield they're not going to lose the players can, you can see they know they're not going to lose Spurs scored in the first minute second minute or something like that uh, and then it was just a case of Liverpool trying to get at them Spurs didn't do anything particularly innovative they just sat behind the ball tried to break when they could Sun Heung-Ming hit the, the bar in the second half as well that could have changed the entire game but he didn't it came off the bar, Liverpool were able to get away and then he, I think he just knew they were going to win it after after that didn't go in. And then as soon as they did go 2-1 up, Spurs sat back in like a four or five or they they pushed up a bit, sorry, afterwards they had sat back and didn't have enough about them to get into it. But Liverpool are just too good. They're just way too good.
1: Yeah, bit of the old mentality giants that Klopp was talking about last year, Mina.
2: Yeah, it's a really odd game because in the sense that you feel like with Liverpool they're not always necessarily like going to blow you away on the pitch. But when they... But this also is a game that shows you what they are capable of when they switch it on because then they're just fantastic to watch. And they were so on top of this game. It would have been almost like crazy sad if they didn't win it. But there's a part of me that feels really sorry for Spurs because, you know, obviously they've been rather hideous the start of the season and the end of last season. Sorry, Ali. Um, but at the same time, I felt like off the ball, they were trying. Um, on the ball, they were, and like again, a little bit hideous to watch. But it was, it was, Let's say them just trying to do a little bit better after midweek in the Champions League. They obviously managed a great scoreline. You see them coming up against Liverpool. They were trying. They score a goal straight off the bat. Um And I just thought at least the midfield was trying to win back possession, even if they were just giving it away straight again. But at least they were trying on this occasion. But Liverpool, it it is just that. They're just so much better. Mm -hmm. And when Jordan Henderson decides to play like a leader, even though he is not exactly going to be the, you know, the footballer that always stuns you with his technique or anything like that. But when he takes that on board and he just plays like the leader that he can be, it was really stunning to watch.
4: One of the things the Spurs were doing, is that I don't think it's so much that the midfielder were giving the, the ball away. They certainly weren't trying to do that. But what they were doing is Liverpool was they were getting the ball from back to front as quickly as possible to try and push them back so that Liverpool couldn't just own the ball the entire time. They did it in the second half of Liverpool because the full were able to get forward. And that's when they had space and they started to get into the game. But it seemed like that worked really well early on for Spurs. Yeah, you saw it for the goal, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. And but it must be exhausting just chasing the ball yeah, all the yeah, time. I, so they had to calm it down the first half.
3: Yeah, yeah. And it, it was exhausting, and you could tell that they just Tottenham's players just tired. But it was just completely different to the Champions League final, where Liverpool went ahead so early, and then they were able to sit mm. back. But in this game, Spurs went ahead early. It was all Liverpool, and there were chances on the break for Spurs. But I I do think Liverpool are just a better team than Spurs. Uh, this was a Good performance from Spurs. It was kind of pretty uh, predictable, like really fighting, battle, battling uh, defeat. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was just exhausting. Liverpool are just so suffocating when they get in the mood like that. They just came again and again and again and again. And on another day, they could have scored uh, three or four easily. Their finishing wasn't quite up to much. Um, I, yeah, I thought. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It was it was one of those games where you just kind of uh, you just kind of think, well. Liverpool are the better team and yeah it could have been could have been way more Liverpool
4: Liverpool, the season at Anfield feel to me a lot like when you watch um, uh, Celtic have been in Scottish Premiership for the last few seasons where no one expects to get anything off of them at Celtic Park same we do not get anything off of them at at Liverpool at Anfield but sometimes the the only way you will get a shock result like Livingston beat them 2-0 at at Livingston uh, is if they go down to 10 men and suddenly you get a random goal and defend against it the whole time and I really think that Anfield is having a huge effect on Liverpool. Certainly, the Champions League last season, you can see it in the yeah, Premier definitely. League. Klopp you can, you can, you can it feel well.
3: it in like the yeah. in the TV when you watch it. It's so loud. It's something about Klopp <laughs> as well because he did that at Borussia Dortmund as well. He just gathers kind of such momentum, doesn't do you,
1: he? Do you think the new stands coming into it? I've not been there since they've sorted uh, or, or built on the main stand. They, they so talked I mean, a lot about that being a you know acoustic that being a concern. Because when I when I went to Anfield, I've only been a couple of times, but. They weren't for massive games. You'll Never Walk Alone was amazing, but then it was a little bit flat after that. So I do wonder if, you know, that extra amount of people and a design that keeps the sound in more plus 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 the fact them.
3: that they've got such a good team as well. They
1: Doesn't go. hurt at all, yeah. does it? Should we talk about <laughs> the goalkeepers, Mina? Alisson with a few, not spectacular saves at the end, but just very safe goalkeeping, I thought. The times when, you know, the pressure's mounting, shot came in quite hard to him and he kept a hold of it. How important is he to Liverpool's title challenge?
2: I think he's... I think he's essential because, to be frank, before him and Van Dijk, they really want a team that you could look at and think they were solid defensively. And I think that he brings in a lot of character. He makes it almost, he he understands how to communicate with the back line. I think that they feel safe with him there. By the way, that actually has a huge impact because you can see, I mean, with Juventus, when we had Buffon and then we had... Um, Chesney. And you could see that there's a difference when you don't necessarily trust your goalkeeper, because then you'll play with a deeper line. But what Liverpool have is like, OK, we know he's going to get it right. We know he's going to do what's necessary. And then we can now push up. We can play how we like. We can take defensive risks if need be, because we know he's there. But I think really the the man to talk about is Gazinga, because he was on another level yesterday. And you know, with Yuri sometimes, or recent years, perhaps he's just capable of a mistake or two. But I, I just thought that this was shot after Sean and I was waiting for him to capitulate and I was like, wow, how is he saving all of this?
3: I, I, I do think it was it was a good performance. It was a good performance and I don't want to take anything away from it. But, but. <laughs> you should expect to make those saves. I totally agree. Yeah, you know, had one good saves, was one, one, the one high one over yeah, the bar. That, yeah. was, that was good, but possibly was hitting the bar anyway. There was another one as um, well. The one from Salah was quite good. That I, one, yeah, that yeah, one. It, that was, it was good, but I think that Larice would have made all of those saves. Um, and Gazaniga, although, yeah, although, yeah, well. but, but although he hasn't made a huge
2: mistake as well,
3: but Gazaniga, although he hasn't made a huge mistake for Spurs because he hasn't played very much, was the most atrocious uh, error maker at Southampton when he, he just would like throw the ball into his own net. I, like, <laughs> I, do, I, I, do, I think there's literally an example where he did actually do that. But um, yeah, I, I do think it was a very good performance. But you should be expecting to make those saves.
1: No argument for him to keep the gloves ahead of Lloris There is, a, when there comes is an comes argu-
3: There is an argument. His distribution is amazing and that, like that ball where he just booted it upfield and put Sun in on goal. He did it. Um, mm. He's done that before. He uh, played a really great long direct ball up when Spurs won at the Emirates in the Cup last season. Um, and he is really good at that and Lloris isn't as good. But I don't, don't know, want to applaud him for doing cl- a
2: job well done. Just no, because don't. you think it's, it's kind of a little bit like no, that's what a, you expect him to do. It is,
3: it is a job well done, and he is challenging. He's giving a geese, decent. He does have a decent chance of taking the gloves off, off Larice. But I, I don't think, think he has one set of gloves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's
4: how it works. <laughs> yeah.
3: and,
1: and you don't even get to train. That's why it's so hard to win your place back as a, <laughs> as a goalkeeper. You don't even get to use him in training. Let's move on to a record equaling evening on the South Coast on Friday night. Southampton nil, Leicester City nine. Yes, nine. Is losing 9-0, Mina, a sackable offence, do you think? This was the biggest league away win in English football, uh, not since the beginning of the Premier League, since it started in 1888. Hasn't huddled out.
2: Is it a sackable defence? It always depends on, obviously, the game. You know, how did they lose 9-0? And on this occasion, <laughs> they won a man down. But my, my main gripe with this is really the fact that Hasenhutl insisted or it seems to me told the team to continue pressing the opponent and when you do that when you're a man down you're effectively always leaving a man free and so it's basically like what are you doing against a team that understands how to control the game, that, underst- that has the talent that it has in its midfield and basically you're not doing anything about it, but actually trying to play your game. Um, and so for me, it's like this is a case of being stubbornly philosophical about your style of play. What I mean, you could you could criticize the squad for all you like. I mean, they didn't register a single yellow card by a team that was literally hammering them. They had no interest in trying to stop the opponent. They were trying to play their game. They didn't do anything that is considered what you know normal. Relative stuff when you're being hammered, you know, maybe start like closing up shop, parking a bus, maybe a truck, whatever you want in your car park, you know, at the end of the day. Instead, no, no, let's continue pressing this game. And I and I got the feeling that Hassan Huntsville didn't give him the right instructions to the team. And for this, in my opinion, I think he should shoulder the blame. And he did, in fact, come out and say this is on me. Um, I know the squad's not good enough, and they've they've seemingly told the you know the club has seemingly stood behind him and said, well, you know they'll change the squad before they change him. But personally speaking, if he was my coach, I would be very annoyed with the way that he handled it and the, what he didn't tell the team to do or instruct the team to do after they went at least two or three nil down.
1: What was your reading of it, Ali? Because you could take the opinion that this is proof we should be extremely worried about Southampton, or you could say this Leicester side is fantastic.
3: Yeah, um, well, they're both true, really. Um, but I do think that Southampton are committed to Hassan hotels project. I'm doing inverted commas uh, with my hands. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and that's that's admirable, and they should they should stick with that. And it's now how they react if that happens another cup or anything like that happens next week or anything. Then City to, away
1: next for Southampton. Yeah, that is and that's, scary.
3: That is scary. But um, I, I I don't think it's time to time to sack him just yet. Uh what? There's there's a I think lots of teams have benefit from just a bit of patience and really. Uh, Going for it, giving everything to the idea of a coach. He's he's there's a lot of positives about Hassenhurtel. And um I think JJ's have mentioned. Have you seen before any of them this season? About, well, yeah. Um and uh they were they sh- they should have beaten Spurs for one. Um but JJ's mentioned it before about Southampton have been very close with and um, they've they've often outperformed teams in terms of their XG um yeah. and and sh- where they should have won games. They haven't quite. And it just says that they're really close to clicking for me. Um I, th- I do think they need a few more, pl- a few more players it's to players. strengthen it comes down to, key. to players. I and think Hasselbaink is clearly yeah.
4: a good. I, I think he's a very talented manager. All the numbers were good when he came in after Mark Hughes. They've they've fallen a bit away now, but I really think that's down to the players. Uh, you could argue that maybe they're not responding to the manager but I think it's just because the quality they have isn't what it once was. Like- but it shouldn't be 9-0 at home bad should it? No. See, I argue but, that yeah. they
2: are listening to the manager too much because if I was honestly speaking do you remember that time when Mourinho and Sergio Ramos got into a, a, a an ag- an disagreement about the corner and he said you know I'm really sorry but you've never played the game so Ramos did what he wanted to do and at the end of the day that's leadership so if Haas and telling the silly team to just continue pressing when they are I don't know 5-0 down yeah if I'm a leader on that and that pitch and I'm thinking to myself you know what this is crazy let's huddle up let's try to close down the line I know
4: but I mean I don't know I don't know what you mean by pressing the situation because when they were like 3-0 down even the pressing they, were, they dropped behind the ball they played 5 at the back so they had 3 and they had 2 wing backs which should have been able to cater for the folk there they had 3 in the middle and 1 up front, one up front. So the pressing they were doing, they were they were pushing up high because in theory it should keep Leicester back where they were so they can't just keep going at them. You could argue that they could have what they should have done was sit back in the lower block, maybe like a four or five, but there's no striker, so with yeah. four, four and a one. Yeah. But then you're going to leave room somewhere for them anyway. And if you're sitting back, they can come at you the whole time. When they did sit back, that's when they were getting the crosses in early from like Chilwell and that across the box for Perez to score. And uh, the pressing they were doing was when Leicester came into their half, like they weren't Pressing as such, they were putting up a high block to try and show the ball a certain way, which you could say maybe is leaving too much space between the lines, like between midfield and attack. I think it was. I agree to an extent on what you're saying, but if you sit back and just let them come onto you, you're going to fall apart. I think it was just that players they just like they just flopped. Like no one showed the aggression needed in midfield.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Which is again like you know the whole, yeah. there's Not even a single yellow card. But sitting in a no block. But tell me this: why is? Where are the instructions from your, from your coach? Where is the? is it he, at, he in charge of trying to get them half. motivated
4: for I know, this? but you know, they do it in the first half. They came out motivated. Uh, Bertrand went over the ball and you know, they took the boy's leg off. Then they're down to 10 men. Too motivated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too motivated, Clive. And then they, they come out. Actually,
2: like... a lot of people were saying that it was harsh that he got sent to it No, it's
4: harsh. a red card. No, it's, it's red card. harsh. It's a red card. It was one of those games as well, let's be honest, where...
1: Everything went for Leicester. Like yeah. they they didn't they barely missed.
4: Leicester are a great team. This is the thing. And at the other point, I don't think this would have happened against like Man City because you're thinking, oh god, it's Man City. We better just like just kill everything down here. But you think, well it's Leicester, we've got a chance here. We could get a point maybe and I think it's one of those like once in a a year type of game that you'll get well once since nineteen eighty or eighteen eighty eight was it? Kind well, of game uh, this
1: is it. I think well, I think we're building towards a ten nil this year because we've had eight <laughs> nil already. We've had nine 0 I think the Ipswich and Southampton record is going to be gone
4: from our lives. But by you the can't you season. can't
2: say the difference in quality between the two squads is nine nil. And so for me, it's no. Be... But
4: a ten men, it can be like for example, I'll go back to Scotland again. Livingston aren't very good, but they beat Celtic two nil because Celtic had 10 men it just changes the game it gives you an extra man for that long and Southampton were down a goal down and a man down and you think oh god what a night! This is for us
2: in Italy when we're playing at ten men. It's worse because then you have no way of doing anything because they just close up every single avenue in front of you. They put ten men behind the wall and you're all screwed, right? Yeah, it's a little bit like what Mourinho said when he was winning the semi final with Inter against Barcelona. He's like, they went to ten, we didn't know how to play our game anymore. I know, and
4: side. I think you can blame the players for not having the right mentality and the, showing aggression in the middle of the park to try and stop that down. I think Hassan can c- c- maybe then like couple of things but he can't do it until half time and they were already getting pumped by then like it's not I, I don't, don't know think, how
2: you can give to a pass to a man who just conceded nine goals for because either. he
4: was on the pitch he's the manager you, you're a manager you train your team all week you you scout you analyse yeah, you and set you get it team wrong. you and tell them it, what's happening they get it wrong they get down to ten men and they get done Right, and then it, so then at half time Hassan <laughs> Huttle comes in and he tells them like you're like you are bad you're bad stop doing that do more goals and you can ch- make some adjustments the players I wouldn't have doubted would have gone to town each other in the, in during the during the break then they go out on the pitch again but they're just getting clobbered by a much better team but the worrying thing is that they were
1: massively down at half time and what so often happens in games like this is that there is something said at half time or a change made at half time which stops that happening again in the second half and I think that is a worry we have to move on <laughs> let's well go Tom, well let's fed. go to London and have a look at all the London clubs we've spoken about Spurs already we have to start with Arsenal where Granite Xhaka Ali was subbed off cheered off as he was subbed off by his fans he walked off which the fans didn't like then there was some nastiness he said a rude word to the crowd I wouldn't say he threw his shirt down but he took it off with purpose like yeah, he was that- getting home from a tough day at the office um Is that relationship beyond repair now, do you think, between Xhaka and the fans? And is Xhaka now this sort of lightning rod where he represents everything the fans don't like about Emery?
3: Yeah, he definitely is that. And I feel a bit sorry for him for that um, because he is actually quite, or he's very important to the way Arsenal plays, involved in almost all of their moves. Um, uh, Is it beyond repair? It's close, isn't it? Um, I think a lot of Arsenal fans uh, would be perfectly happy to just... Uh, get rid of him. Uh, it's about whether he comes out and apologises because you're not going to get 60,000 fans apologising for their behaviour. It's got to be uh, Xhaka that does it. And so I don't think it's beyond repair It completely. It's like that's an expensive decision to make for the club to just uh, completely get rid of him having already made an expensive decision by getting rid of Ozil, by not playing Ozil. Um So no, not quite beyond repair but yeah really really bad you you, you just can't I mean it's, it's bad from the fans but as the captain as well he has to he has to just rise above it he's obviously frustrated but yeah, yeah. so uh, you know
1: you, there's a good argument for sucking it up and sprinting off the pitch isn't there when he gets subbed yeah. off especially if you're the captain Mina yeah. do you think the fans have now really is it a majority of them that seem to be against Emery now
2: I think they're just against everything. I don't know. I I, I I totally agree. (laughs) I actually don't think that they know where to, to direct their anger at this moment in time. They hate the ownership. They hate the way that the club is being run. They hate the coach because... I mean, let's be honest, he's done nothing that you've looked at and think, yeah, I can really see the direction that Arsenal's going in. I can really see you making the most of the players that we think are star players, you know, your Ozil's or Lucas Torreira just is now just nothing more than a guy who just cries on the sideline because Xhaka's being... That was sad, wasn't it? There were photos
1: from the official Arsenal photographer of when Jacques was being subbed off of Torreira looking really bereft. Because he's beloved by his, the other players, Shaka, by all accounts.
2: He's yeah, and he's beloved by even like the kitmen, and and he's apparently just like a important.
3: really important. <laughs> <laughs> he got he's the just... kitmen's vote for captain. Imagine so. <laughs> <He matters. laughs> the swing like... state.
2: Apparently, he's one of those guys that's just really trying hard to be a part of the team, and I just feel like he feels like he's putting in. It's a kind of like you, you know, let's just say you're a little bit technically limited, and you're trying so hard to be this guy that's good for your club, and that you know works hard and trying to be this captain and then everyone hates you because you're not a great player, you know? And and I don't know whether he's a great player because I do think that Unai Emery's tactics are, in many ways, not exactly getting the best out of some of his best players. I think that they, you know obviously Lacazette or Bermayang are doing very well but a lot of the times you feel like the lack of tactics I mean Smalling has turned into a world class defender so sometimes you just you think to yourself well it is about the coach and I don't think the strategy is getting the best out of them and I feel sorry a little bit but there's something to be learned from Liverpool and Anfield and, and how much they just stand by their men and, and how much that creates such a beautiful atmosphere that they're winning Champions Leagues and doing all these things based on that. It's like, why don't we just look at that and think, yeah, that's something that we should follow.
1: Yeah, I mean, as JJ said, that's really helped by the team being really good, isn't it? Yeah. And Not <laughs> not a whole lot of that at Arsenal at the moment. Liverpool- what about Palace, JJ? Um, did did Worlds come back from 2-0 down? They're, they're having a good season.
4: Uh, yes they are having a good season I wrote about um, Wilfred Zaha before the weekend and how it seems to be he's less influential for Palace but they are better as a result but I mean opposition teams always target him Uh, Matteo Guendouzi uh, the best tried to cuddle ever. him to the ground. Yeah, I
2: love that. <laughs> cuddle. It <Yeah.
4: laughs> looked like a scene from It was like ever.
2: It, was it was like, like, like a, police academy. It's
4: like a bear jumped out the woods, they <laughs> <laughs> like got him, took him down, I stopped like, it. Yeah,
1: whoever was commentating for the BBC said it might have been a booking in rugby. Like yeah, like it. It's a high tackle, it was definitely
3: yeah. a red card,
2: wasn't it? I that, thought it was red. if it was. It's a classic yellow
4: card, like you know. No, a red card. a classic. Take the yellow moment. It's a definite orange. It's an orange
2: an orange that's somewhere. exactly what it is JJ
4: but yeah Palace I, I've been really impressed by them they're um, not conceding many goals the two goals they conceded were really s- weird set piece ones which you didn't wouldn't really associate with them other than that I mean they did very well to get back into the game the penalty was right uh, yeah what more can you say about Palace like, it's just weird that they've done so well except Zaha is
3: less influential now, and it seems. To be, I mean, it is a team game, so it does make sense to an extent. But. Really disappointing for them to concede those two early goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think match of the, they said on match of the day they hadn't conceded a goal from a set piece all season, and then they mm-hmm. went and conceded two in two minutes to Arsenal. Um, yeah, really disappointing. But yeah, they uh, they were really good. Um, beat Arsenal on XG could have uh, largely limited Arsenal to set-piece chances. Mm. 1.8 to 1.2 or something. Or Definitely. the real
1: quiz, as it's known. What about Chelsea? Mina, big win for them up at Burnley, despite two late goals for Burnley. 4-2. Was this the Christian, and we've had a debate about the pronunciation of this before the show, Pulisic that the Chelsea mm. fans have been waiting for?
2: Is it Pulisic? Pulisic.
1: Pulisic? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're divided on this. I'm sticking with my... He says Pulisic. Uh, I'm sticking with my um, Croatian itch Song jibs. Yeah, <laughs> damn straight. So is
2: it Modric?
1: <laughs> All right, let's... Modric, because he's... We've had one falling creation. out already this show, <laughs> what uh, okay, What did you make I'm of sorry. Chelsea and, and <laughs> Pulisic?
2: Well, it was obviously a delightful game because Chelsea were amazing. Um, And I know that we should be talking about the American who got his hat trick. And I really am very pleased with him because I think he's been so desperate to make an impression. He obviously arrived for a lot of money. Everyone was saying it was a marketing ploy to get America on board. But actually, the guy can play football and he's demonstrated that. But I think that what I want to do is give a little bit of love at the moment to Maritou Sadi. And everyone's going to think that's really bizarre. But what I think is... What, what makes Chelsea so good is their midfield and if you have Kante back in there it's going to be an exceptional midfield so Kovacic Jorginho are averaging over 100 passes a game now the person who you know made sure of that happening was Maurizio Sarri and he's the one who what he's doing right now with Juventus in their midfield is where they reach about 80 touches and he's like right I want 100 I want over 100 passes I want it to be vertical I want you to look for the for the players in front of you what Lampard has done so well is surround them by players such as Tammy Abraham such as Mason Mount who are always looking for the ball always mobile always running um, in different directions which gives so many outlets for a pass for these two midfielders to connect with so it's easier for them to register key passes easier for them to register assists isn't it the first time has actually managed to assist in a match so and I think that it's a, it's a combination of what was sort of brought in by Sadi the foundations laid in midfield and right now in an attacking team to have a, a to have a midfield that is so smart and so capable of delivering um, on both sides of the game I think Jorginho's really improved his defensive game I think Kovacic was exceptional to be frank I've always been a, a mad fan of his um I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, obviously, you know, it is about the attack and all of that. And, and I do have problems in how they defend. And that's why Burnley got two goals. But I do really think that it, it's a combination of these two coaches is leading to what is a fantastic Chelsea side. Well,
3: we, about, should, we should just talk about Pulisic for a second. He did score a hat trick. And just Pulisic. a kick. Whatever. <laughs> um, he's, he scored a really good hat trick. And that third goal, what a header. Back, back of his head. That's amazing. Just like, just how brave that is. Just to fling your head backwards. Do you towards... think it's bad technique? Yeah, but <laughs> that's the kind of thing it I is, would do. I yeah, think it's bad technique. But he scored. It, I also think it doesn't think, matter. Uh, and, and I also want to say I love a perfect hat trick, and that's what that. That's what that was. It now, was absolutely perfect. I've
4: got a call, a bit of issue. I wrote a weird thing today that I'm sure I'll get pelletters for. But I think it's an imperfect hat trick because it's just like well, the it's, lit-
2: it's literally not.
3: So,
4: uh, well, uh, so
2: you- but it's a deflected goal for this. Second one. No, it's not that.
3: Right foot, left foot, head.
4: Yeah. So the reason that the reason I think it's with this Pulisic thing is that so he was a left-sided forward in a four-two-three-one. So whenever they're going forward, the shape should generally look like that. You should have the wide left and right staying in that positions so that they can keep the shape because it gives you width, which means that the opposition team has to defend in a certain way. But Pulisic, for the first goal he scored as a left winger, he was on the right wing to take a throw in. He's just desperate to impress and is wandering towards the ball the whole time. You see it happening at like five asides and a, a, a very bad level 11s, but Pulisic was doing it. So he goes over to get the throw in, uh, loses control of the ball, gets headed back and then Pulisic is in position, weirdly, to then rob uh, Matt Loughton and run through and score the goal. If he'd been in position, he wouldn't be near them in the first place. So he's gone against what the instruction should have been, but it's been for the better of the team. And then the second goal is weird because again, Pulisic runs through the middle of the goal, but uh, through the pit of the pitch. But he should be wider left, but he's gone to that side, which has shifted Mount out to the further to the right, right next to Willian. And the reason that Willian and uh, and Mount are able to win the turnover is because they're so close together and they sort of like pincer movement the, the ball out from the back. Willian uh, nicks the ball, goes through to Pulisic, who runs through and goal and scores. Again, he's not really in the right place where he should be and I think that's what Lampard's referring to when he says he needs to learn a bit. Do you think
1: that happens all the time in football and we're not aware of it? Like we, after the event, say, what a tactical masterclass or yeah. brilliant. I bet there's loads of this that happens it where it's like I wasn't is. supposed to be there. Well, it
4: definitely is because then it's an overload they've created accidentally and you want to find ways to do it, but it's it would make, it'd be mental to try and do that as a ploy because had Burnley won it and shifted over to the other side suddenly they've got 2v1 on the left back and then the midfield would split to try and cover it which would leave holes through there as well and it happened against Man United early in the season but I think there's a lot of things that people might refer to the manager having organised it when actually it's just players do stuff that's why better players tend to win new games but the best thing you can do as a manager is set yourself up defensively, give yourself options going forward, and then the rest dent the players, Isn't really. Isn't it
2: like Wayne Rooney was a bit like that, tactically indisciplined, but then he would be sometimes in the right place at the right time because th- of that?
4: Probably, but he I think he was he was really good uh, tactically. I think he knew where to be and when, because you can see he got frustrated at things and would often argue with Alex Ferguson about it. But maybe, maybe to an extent. There's a lot of players definitely do it.
2: It's, it's interesting because then what you do if you're an instinctive player, you actually want to roam, you want to be creative. Well, like
4: Hashtag used to do it a lot and it caused problems for Chelsea. And you have like Mourinho had the problem with uh, Ronaldo at Real Madrid where he had set up his team so that he could cater for him not doing enough defensively. You had uh, like <laughs> Messi, teams were built around him roaming on purpose to try and create overloads in different bits of the, of the park. But I doubt that Lampard has built his team for the game against Burnley around Pulisic.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right.
1: Let's quickly talk about West Ham, who drew at home with Sheffield United in the Carlos Tevez affair derby. Um, the worry for them, Ali, was that they'd lose all their creativity when Arnautovic left. In Snodgross and Jan Malenko, have they got a decent pair now uh, to replace him going forward as, as an attacking threat?
3: Yeah, definitely. And um, Lanzini's been a bit off recently, but when he gets back to form, uh, they, yeah, they've definitely got uh, a lot of creativity. Um I've always liked Snodgrass and Yarmolenko being back, back to form. He also seems like a nice guy. Lovely assist for the first goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was really, Yomalenko. really good. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you mentioned Carlos Tevez. The best thing about this game was definitely the fans wearing Carlos Tevez masks, um, <laughs> uh, which was really funny. Um, but yeah, credit to Sheffield United as well. Um, only three losses all season and the best defence in the whole Premier League.
1: Very well done to them.
2: Do you have a friend who never pays their share of the bill? Or are your parents wasting your inheritance on flash cars and Caribbean cruises? Or maybe you have two children, but you can only afford to send one to a fee-paying school.
4: The common thread? Money. And the moral problems that it so often leaves in its wake.
2: I'm Lauren Davidson.
4: And I'm Sam Meadows.
2: We both report on personal finance for The Telegraph. And each week on our podcast, Moral Money, we're joined by one of our paper's best love columnists to unpick the thorny financial issues sent in by listeners.
4: From stretching your work expenses to the ethics of paying less tax, this is the ultimate guide to what's okay and what's not in the blurred world of money morals.
2: It's heated.
4: (laughs) It's lively.
2: And it might even help you become a better person.
4: Search for Moral Money in your favourite podcast app and click subscribe. To make sure you never miss an episode,
1: let's have a swift whip round the rest of the Premier League. Now, Manchester United beat Norwich but missed two penalties. They keep missing penalties, JJ. It's a recurring theme for them. Do they need a coach on board just to tell them how to take penalties?
4: Um, no. <laughs> oh, what?
3: I think they're what's, cursed. What's weird about it is that both Rashford and Marshall's missed penalties looked like they were really low on confidence, but then they both scored goals where they just looked so confident, like amazing touches and finishes. I mean, it is scary uh, even it to just, take a
4: penalty. Like it, it, You do feel it? it, yeah. It's a
2: mental block. It's like a little bit like you know, the England team, right? As in, it's just like, oh God, it's penalties. We just... I even mean, uh, though they take it maybe, every day. Maybe,
3: maybe for... You have you taken right. it 11s it, when you play? Yes, and I, I missed in front of the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of. Ah, you see? Was, were you confident then? <laughs> no, it was horrible. Yeah, yeah, you see. But these are professional footballers. They are surely able to compartmentalise. They're still that. people, Ellie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> While we're on they're, the subject of penalties, mortal. we are unfortunately going to have to start the VAR timer. We're going to use 30 seconds on this and 30 seconds a bit later. Start the clock, please, Joel. At least one of these penalties for Manchester United was an absolute nonsense, right? How
4: come I, the keeper's let it go off his to save them both with VAR, they should have been both been uh, ready to be taken. They should have neither been.
3: And the James, should have been given, James was never a foul. Neither should have been given. They neither. were both nonsense. Yeah, I just think. What I I just just think, ball. No, it was just it was came at him in no time whatsoever. I'm talking so fast because I'm so wary of this clock. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> yeah you look I'm, so nervous. Hurry, <laughs> hurry, hurry! I'm up for them getting rid of it in its current guise and spending a whole summer watching it. Okay,
1: no, we're done. We're out, we're out. We'll come back to it. (laughs) Hold that thought, Alex. We've got more VAR to get into. Let's talk about Manchester City. John Stone's back for them in their 3-0 win against Villa. What's Pep's next trick, JJ? How's he going to make a workable defence work without Fernandinho, who's suspended for the next game after his red card?
4: Uh, I think... I mean, the problem... Well, not a problem, but they've got good midfielders who can they can drop into defence. I think Ottomendi's on the way back. Is Stones, Richard
1: Wright still about? Could he do a
4: job? I think he's a goalkeeper, so probably not. <laughs> but
2: uh, Gundogan could.
4: Gundogan, yeah. I mean, he's very Roger. small, but then they are all using the ball. He's Roger. got injured until... He's oh. got a few month, a couple oh, months oh, out. Sorry. Yeah, they been missing Roger now with injury. He, I'd imagine what you'll do is get Ottomendi back in the team when he can and Stones will cover. Uh, but then you've, you'll just take a midfielder and try and drop them back in everyone's small but the point is that City always have the ball
3: anyway so they can find height somewhere else I don't know who the tallest ones are They're, they've also got I think the Carabao Cup in midweek so I mean not that that's less is that less give
2: Eric Garcia so, I think that's his yeah. name
3: the defender gave him a game yeah why not that's a good opportunity mm.
4: to do well, that well
2: yeah I think he's supposed to be like the next big thing
4: yeah. I know. Doesn't get a game. There's another boy that had Ador Adoradio. I can't say his name properly, but he was to- Tosin Tosin Adoradio. Ador- oh yeah. You know him. I can <laughs> never I mean, say his name right. I've had him in champion Football Manager for ages. I can never pronounce his name properly, but uh, he's always like hotly tipped for ages and ages and ages. But he's out on loan again, again, a player what that could have done him this year. Uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'm worried I'm a, he must not be feeling very motivated for you in Football Manager world if you can't even pronounce his name. What Ador- about Everton Mina? They're learning how to score from set pieces now, not just concede from them. They scored from a corner. However, they lost due to another controversial VAR decision. Start the clock again, please, Joel. Do you agree with this penalty decision, Mina?
3: Yes. No. <laughs>
2: Come on. You
3: and you says, uh, <laughs> Are you serious? I I,
2: I, did anyone agree what, with the this? The Michael Keane one, right? Yeah. yeah. I did. He stepped on him. Oh
1: my! Goodness. I was I was slightly on Mina's side, but I just don't know what to think about anything anymore. No, I see both sides. But you know
2: what? Everything is it's true when it's slow motion. Everything looks like it's so that's, like that's, intentional. That's totally true. And I and I you know felt yeah. if it was just moving, probably not. I don't know. Now how we're done. Way. Sorry, Mina. Okay.
1: Right, <laughs> let's go to Newcastle, who drew at home with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Not terrible in the first half from Newcastle, but it did get pretty awful for them in the second. Do you think it's fair to say, Ali, that Steve Bruce at this point looks like he might keep them up, but it's not going to be any fun at all?
3: Yeah, um, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Newcastle to be better than they are, just a bit more expansive. Um, uh, I keep talking about XG, but they have uh, scored very few goals and their XG suggests they should have scored very few goals. They're just not creating chances. So poor, poor old Joel Linton's getting called a Massive flop. Yeah, which not, is just ridiculous. He's, so good, he's not yeah. getting so any ridiculous. chances because yeah. they don't create anything. Um, their their fullbacks just don't go up the pitch. They just wingbacks. So, yeah, yeah. They're just they're just not. This is where adventurous the coaching needs to come all. in. Yeah, and I just I just think it's a bit. It's just tiresome for Newcastle.
2: But they co- the
4: coaching they're doing exactly what he wants, and I think it's working really well. So, do you you don't think?
2: Well, I don't know why he's so isolated and why does no one ever put him first when they're thinking man man of making decisions. Are worse than
4: the other team. Is, is he that guy as well? What should, about making should decisions? He be, should he
1: be the main striker? Are they not waiting for g- Carroll and he'll go back on the left, which is where he was playing for his previous team?
4: No. But no. There are so no.
2: many different decisions. It just doesn't look like the team is trying to look for Joe Linton. That's my point. They, it, they,
4: it just, they are, though. It's just that they're sat so deep and the whole point is to, to try and break in a 5-2-3. Like, one, one example is like, so looking like, for Joe Linton. So that boy, Alan St-Maximin, is great fun to watch. But the boy, he must be so annoying to play with because he love never passes. I that you tweet. so, was so, so good. I was watching him I was Precisely. like, I don't think he's passed once. Is
2: that not coaching? Well, let, probably, let him, yeah. Let but let, let me do my
4: point first. <laughs> so, like, sit Maximin, right? Good okay, fun to watch. Uh, he's absolutely rapid. Um, during the game, I was thinking, I don't think he's passed to anyone. I've played with lots of people like this. Not as good as him, obviously. But the, uh, <sighs> when he gets the ball and goes. He had, the point I watched, I've not got the, the final stats, but I know they're pretty similar. He finished in about 39, 40 touches with, uh, I think it was 15 passes of the ball. So he had about the fourth highest number of touches for Newcastle, but
3: the, the lowest passes, like lower than the goalkeeper even. Uh, and what's mad game. with that is that if he's not really shooting he does a lot of dribbling but not like 25 in a game what are the other things he's doing he just, just he gets just down, the ball head down runs towards people yeah. I guess he gains territory he's like a rugby player basically yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> okay
2: so um, so my question would yeah. be to all of that okay so you have a player like that we obviously know he's technically gifted yeah
4: to maximum yeah. yeah
2: what would you do to try to perhaps get him to I don't know maybe look for the striker maybe make the right decision at certain points
4: well isn't that <laughs> but, coaching but Mina yeah but then
2: I mean, you always like, say this to me but Mina what do you expect that they're all gonna just know how to do these if things on their own? is
4: the player who plays off Joe jo then he had like so what he does is he gets the ball and runs and he like I said he gains territory he maybe wins a free kick for them what he should be doing is looking for the pass but often what he does he can't do it because he's so far ahead of everyone else that there's no one to pass to when he does get the ball, like he makes short passes when he has people overlapping him, but the way they're set up is to not let anything go through them, hit on the counter, and try and get a goal. And it worked in the first half against Wolves. Uh, I mean, that's exactly the tactic. that you've got one guy up top. It's, it's similar to what Leon did in the Champions League last year, and you loved it last year. You said with Leon, and it's the same thing that they're doing. The same shape, same tactic to a certain extent. Uh, they can't. I don't think they've got the players to take on teams higher up the pitch. If they did, I think they would lose more often than they have done. That's why they've got so many good like results, especially that Spurs
3: wouldn't
2: you can, happen. You can understand
3: on. why he's playing like
2: that. Yeah, I, just I, think think, so. I just
3: think they
4: But
2: my they issue is that why would you come out some, there and say we're going to be a Newcastle that's on the front foot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they should, they should just... They're some just saying we're going to bury... In, they in they fairness, that. they
4: had way more possession this game than in previous weeks. So I did see a big difference in how they have been... Say against Spurs, they were, I mean, they barely got out their of own, their own defensive third. Yeah. But in this game, they had a lot more of the ball. And I think a lot of that is Matty Longstaff who was dropping in behind the rest of them to like move the ball around. Him and, and Sean in the midfield seemed to be really good at, at ball retention, and they'd get take the ball out from the back and take it forward. And Wolves were being forced further backwards. I'm not sure what the change really was at halftime. I think Newcastle sat too deep and didn't play the way they did in the first half. If they'd gone further up, I think they could have kept them at bay earlier. But they went to all out defence too soon.
2: Okay. So my my issue with all of this is that it basically the, the the saying is is if your team is just not as good as the opponent and you don't have as enough, as much money as the opponent, then basically you're always going to fail because these are the tactics and what can you expect? No, but it's just a
4: way to do it. I mean, it's it's.
2: I, I mean, sorry. Personally, I would I would be developing say Maxim to maybe not put his head down and just run faster than everyone else. I'm sure yeah. they're
4: working that in coaching. They've only had a couple of months with him and he's not been injured since he's been in the team. Yeah,
2: but but this is again like and you is, can't
4: pass to someone if no one's out to pass to.
2: Well, th- this again is an issue to do but with you, the coaching. But then you're
4: telling me what you need to do is coach Joe Ellington to be 10 miles per hour faster. Like, no, I don't think that. I, I think
2: him. maybe you should you should actually be 10, 10 miles slower, whatever it is. Sorry, what did you say, 10 miles? <laughs> 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 I, I, do, I think you need to work together, not just have one speedy guy and one guy who can't run as fast, then it's a joke. Yeah, because William one... is really fast, and then they've managed to get him to work with the team, right? I know, but it's, too, but
4: <laughs> Let's just say. it's not how it works. Let's just say
1: for Newcastle, there's some room for improvement. Let's have some lovely music. <laughs> yes, it's a song for Europe. And let's start in Spain, Mina, where Granada, atop top of La Liga. What's going on with them? How have they done it?
2: Oh, my God, they're such a lovely team. Um, they have the youngest coach in the league. He's only 38 years old. It makes me feel like... My life's not worth anything. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's,
2: a, he's a, you know, whatever. He's reached the top of the league and he's only 38. I think the beauty of this is that he came into you know, the, the coaches, Diego Martinez. He came into the side last summer, took them and promoted the team. And now they're top of the league, which is something that's unbelievable. Also happened because the Clasico was postponed. So Real Madrid and Barcelona didn't play this weekend. So there isn't someone that's overcome them. But what I love about this team is that it's defensively solid, it attacks really quickly, but most importantly, it's tactically very intelligent. And for, you know, players not being perhaps worth their salt, you know, it's the fact that they can play an array of different formations and adapt to the opponent because it's great coaching, um, you know, and it's... And they've spent only $7 million over the summer, just to let you know that. So none of these players are really worth their salt. But they've played 4-3-3, 4-4-2, 5-3-2. They always have a defensive unit. They always know how to protect themselves. And that gives them the launch pad to then attack and surprise uh, teams. They obviously surprised Barcelona and they managed to win over them. They They scared Real Madrid, although they lost in the end. But it's just a team that's honestly doesn't look at the fact that they haven't spent as much money as everyone else and doesn't look into anything. Oh, another thing, management – It perhaps isn't necessarily, I don't know about like how they're spending their money, it's not always necessarily great, but I like that they're all on board with who they should buy, how they should, um, which direction they should go in, how they should balance the team and what personalities they need in there. I think that makes a huge difference when everyone on your board understands the direction that you want to go to and you all trust in each other's roles. That is one of the difference makers in Granada and I think they've done that really well since selling the club.
1: Let's stay with the feel-good vibes, because Juve and Inter both failed to win this weekend, which is always quite funny to see uh, big teams <laughs> not doing very well. Um, but Atalanta, Champions League contenders Atalanta, beat uh, Udinese 7-1. <laughs> yeah, They're third. It. Not great in the Champions League, but a strong start again for them this season.
2: Yeah, Atalanta are this team that, again, you know, I mean, if you look at the fact that their players are, actually relatively probably poor barring the front line. They're a team that always punch above their weight because they have a coach who is sensational in his approach. Gasperini actually lost several of his games in, in the start of his career at Atlanta. But I credit to them for sticking by him. He's now managed to teach you know his team how to play his football. They have this desire to constantly attack and overwhelm, and they do so at such a great intensity. So it's almost like you're overwhelmed all the time. They have a fatal flaw, and obviously that you know their tactics mean that they can't defend and get back into position at the right time, which is why they look so exposed when they do play against great opponents in the Champions League. But if they win the majority of their matches and then just keep really pushing the the opponents, such as Juventus or Inter that are stronger. They'll try to win as many matches as they can, but they are a team to be admired despite the fact that they have one of the smallest budgets in the league, and but they have a great coach.
1: And what about in Germany? Robert Lewandowski scored again. He scored in every single game so far this season uh, and set a Bundesliga record for scoring for nine games in a row. There's some talk from less reputable news sources than Her Majesty's Daily Telegraph that he might be off to Real Madrid. In January, is there any prospect of a mega deal to Real Madrid or, or anywhere else for Lewandowski?
2: They have their own world striker in Karim Benzema. Mm. Oh, I love that man I so I remember much. him. But what do you mean you remember him? You know when they were talking about Haaland and Salzburg and as being the teenager that's equaled Benzema's record? I'm like, since he's been a kid till now, no one ever really appreciates how amazing Benzema's been. He's the only coach, he's the only striker that none of the coaches have ever wanted anyone else because he's been amazing. So, you know, the Mourinho, Benitez, Ancelotti Zidane has ever looked for anyone else. So, but Lewandowski to Real Madrid, I highly doubt it. The whole point that everyone is saying Lewandowski is doing so well in Bayern is because he's accepted the fact he's never leaving. So he's like, right, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm actually going to stop being the most selfish guy in the planet, Um, which he was when he yelled at his team for not providing him with enough help to win top scorer in 2017. And instead taken on board to now play for the side to try to help the youngsters to be this good guy. I don't know how long this is going to last for, but I like this new approach. There's still something about him that I don't know what it is. It doesn't convince me. It could be the Bundesliga. It's not like you're coming up the world's strongest defences, but he's also doing it at the Champions League, so that quashes that argument. It may, as long, I hope it lasts for as long as he can.
1: Very nice. Let's finish up by talking about Ajax, whose fans booked a holiday to London to see them play Chelsea in the Champions League but they were banned from going to that game because of some misbehaviour. Uh, those Ajax fans who were coming to London thought it's fine we can we can make a, a <laughs> I was about to say we can make a nice holiday which uh, <laughs> sounds like I don't speak regular English.
4: Uh, You're the in I, a good moment.
1: Uh, <laughs> the Ajax fans thought oh we'll still have a nice time we can go and watch Leighton Orient who had a uh, game on the Tuesday night but Orient's game has now been moved on police advice uh, so those Ix fans are going to be left kicking their heels. What I want to know is your tales of foiled football watching. When have you been thwarted from watching the game you had intended to watch, Ali Tweedale? First of all, actually, we'll just uh, mention, we put this out on Twitter, had, uh, weirdly, like 30 or 40 people liked the tweet, but only one replied, and it was Hamir, who said, I'm going to miss the Aston Villa-Liverpool game next Saturday. Engagement. Ali, (laughs) what's your story? (laughs) Um,
3: I once went to uh, Holland to see a game, and... uh, it was security was really tight with tickets. You couldn't get a ticket without being registered, um, and uh, we just tried to pick some up. Couldn't get any tickets, so bought, booked our whole trip. Couldn't get any tickets, um, but then managed to get into the stadium to some turnstiles that were within view of the pitch, with about two minutes to go to kick off, and then some security just told us we couldn't be there, and we just had to leave. Oh, where did you end up watching it? In a. In a in a bar, in a really bad bar on a standard definition screen. Oh my god! With a terrible view on a terrible seat, it was really really bad.
1: That's sad. JJ, <laughs>
3: anything happier? It was meant to be funny, but it came out quite sad,
4: didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, took my girlfriend to see Aberdeen versus Hearts. It was going to be a really good game. I was very excited for it. Went up the road uh, to to Aberdeen to pretty much to go, go and watch this game. And as I parked the car and realised that there were lots and lots of other cars parked already and not many people walking around. And the sound in the background was probably of a football match that I had got the time wrong. So I went up a hill to try and watch it over the stadium and then watched it on my iPad. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is she such she a bummer wife? of a question,
1: isn't it?
2: Yeah. is not it she still your girlfriend? Yeah. Okay.
4: <laughs> How about you, Mina? Um,
2: it was Euro 2012, and Italy was set to play Germany. And we finally managed to get a set of tickets after uh, some dodgy dealings. But we finally got there in the end. And then I started to feel that I might be a curse because every time I seem to watch my teams which is Juventus in every Champions League final and they lose that I could be just the you know the bad egg and so I thought if I really want this team to win and I started to get the feeling that Germany was going to win it because they were just all over Poland at the time um you know talking about how they were going to quash the Italians so I was like all right I'm out and then you know Italy won and I was like I was really disappointed to have not been there
3: alas alas I've got another story okay. that I just thought of good um, yeah. cheer us up 2 2014 World Cup, uh, I went and just booked flights before the draw. Turned out that our flights out were during England's game against Uruguay. So I saw England lose to Italy in England and then uh, flew during the Uruguay game and asked my girlfriend to text me the score so that when I landed, I'd get the score. And I landed, turned on my phone and, and she just was sent. It came through like sequentially. Like a really in in five seconds, I got the whole match, and it was just football emojis. Goal, Rooney, yay, England! Oh no, Suarez, sad face. England are out. (laughs) (laughs) That was that was that was my welcome to Brazil. I love football.
1: That's your lot for this week. Don't worry. You can contact me on Twitter before next week if you'd like to. Stop worrying. At Tom with an H Gibbs is where I'm at on there. You can send us an email too if you'd like. Why not? It's a fun format of communication. at Telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Just look for those words wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. And thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.